How's everybody doing this morning? It's good to be with you. Um, if I sound sick, uh, it's because I am. I never thought this day would get here. Um, I literally laid in bed three days this week. Um, for those of you that know me, I, I don't do that. Um, so, apologize for my voice. Um, my name is Dave, one of the pastors here. If you're visiting, we're glad you're here this morning. Um, I want to start us off uh, pretty, pretty on key. Uh, if you know me, you know I, I like to do that. Um, I don't mess around a lot of times when I preach. Um, but as I was preparing, and my prep this week was just messed up, I'll just be honest, um, to the point where uh, not only did I lay in bed until Friday at noon, um, and that's really when my prep started, which is not good, um, but the Lord is able to redeem that. Um, and then on top of that, what the Lord brought about by way of some of the things you're going to see on the screen um, is, uh, is just different. Uh, I'll just put it that way. Um, Vince is back there smiling. He knows what's coming. Um, that's what the Lord has for us. So anyway, um, but as I was preparing, uh, this thought went through my mind. And, and the thought was this. I want something new. God, I, I want to come with something new. And the Lord literally stopped me in my tracks. And this is what, this is what I, I sensed. I sensed him saying, you don't need anything new. North Church doesn't need anything new from me. And, and, and I think the reason why I sensed that was because so often we're like, God, reveal yourself, reveal yourself, reveal yourself. And in all honesty, the truth is, He is revealing Himself. And we say we believe it. But in all honesty, if we truly believed what we said we believed, we would live so much different. And so that's why I think the Lord's like, forget newness. Now, I might come with all kinds of newness today. I don't know. We'll see. Okay? But if I don't come with anything new this morning, and you walk out the door and you're like, I've heard that before. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's God saying yes. And I want you to get your heart and your mind around it. The Lord took me on a really crazy journey really in the past 24 hours. Kind of, he took my mind on this journey through what does it look like to throw yourself under the freedom that he offers. And so I began to just draw. I'm not an artist, all right? Um, I taught in school for five years, and then I went eight months without a whiteboard, and it hit me, I need a whiteboard, and, wow, um, I got a whiteboard and I went to it. Um, like, I don't know that I've ever gone to it before. My wife woke up this morning and she's like, holy cow, what in the world happened to you? And I said, I drank too much coffee. Um, 
if you're not in Galatians 3, go there. We need to give some background. Um, uh, a good portion of what we're going to cover, specifically 1 uh, through 9, is going to lead up to the most important part of this passage, namely 10 through 14. Okay? Which is where you're, you're going to see me bust out some uh, craziness. All right? Um, you're familiar with, if you were here last week, uh, Rick brought us back into the series that we're, we're doing, The Gospel is at Stake. And um, Paul begins chapter 3 of Galatians with six rhetorical questions. If you don't know what rhetorical means, you can ask your neighbor. All right? Just kidding. Um, six rhetorical questions, um, and, and he comes at them in a, in a rather pastoral rebuke. Okay? And, and it goes pretty much like this. You're getting it wrong. You can read one through three. You heard Danielle read it. He's like, you're, you're getting it wrong. He even calls them foolish. He calls them tricked. He calls he, the word bewitched. Isn't that like a TV show or something? Yeah? No? Old. Really old. Some of you weren't born yet. I'm sorry. You missed something good. It's probably on the internet. But don't search it. It's not that good. But he's like, you're foolish. You're, you're missing something so incredibly crucial. Um, I love sports. I know a ton of you in here are athletes. If you're not an athlete, you love to watch athletics. Um, you've seen teams, um, and I saw this a ton as an athlete, and I saw it a, a ton as a coach. Uh, it goes like this. When you begin practice, you start rigorous fundamentals 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 and it's like annoying you're like okay coach i get the fact that i'm supposed to get into defensive stance i get the fact that i'm supposed to get my hands up i get the fact i'm supposed to point my toe i'm supposed to snap my wrist off i get the fact that i'm supposed to talk here i get the fact that i'm supposed to be in this position here i get it can we move on to something else and they like beat it in your head and 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 then here's what happens at least I saw this a decent amount. You start the season out sound. I mean, I played for coaches who were very fundamentally sound, uh, coached, and we tried to have a team that was very fundamentally sound. And so with good teams, we, had, we were successful. With teams that grasped the fundamentals, we were incredibly successful because other teams didn't do that. But here's, here's what we found We'd begin to build on them and build on them and build on them to the point where here's what would happen. Some reason, midway through the season, all of a sudden we'd be like, we're struggling. What's the deal? What's going on? We started so well. And now here we are and we look like, we look terrible. And all of a sudden it's like a light bulb goes off and it's like, our defense is terrible. We're not moving our feet. We're not talking. We're not doing the fundamentals. So here's what happens. You go into this rigorous cycle again. Okay, back to the fundamentals. Back to the fundamentals. Sit down. Slap the floor. Talk. Move your feet. And it's like craziness. And this is really the exact same thing that Paul's doing. He's like, you began well. He even says this in chapter 5. Who has hindered you? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probe right at your heart a little bit this morning. Maybe not a little bit, probably more a lot of bit, okay? Um, 
So if you don't want me to do that, then I'm sorry. You can go like this, but that won't work. Um, here, maybe 2011, and you're like, January 16th. I'm already so far off track. I made all these goals, resolutions, you know, I put this image up, you know, I started out well, and I'm off. I'm off. Or maybe some of you would say, you know, I never really started out well. I've been off from the beginning of time. And I want to say what Paul says to the Galatians. I want to say to you right now. There's going to be a lot of application in this sermon, I pray. And here's the first one. Right now, some of you are like, I'm so far off. And God is saying the same thing Paul said to the Galatians. Get your eyes off of yourself and your own ability or inability to maintain this track. And run to him. I'm going to illustrate that profoundly well. At least I think it's profound because it came from my head, right? Um, Here in a minute. But get your mind off of yourself. You've been there, right? This, this like, you, you got to walk this line, you got to do the trick, and, and you continually find yourself falling off, falling off, falling off. Paul's saying, come back. Not to doing this well, but come back to him. Look at verse 4. Actually, let's start at 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? if indeed it was in vain. So he, he brings them to recollect some things. Did you suffer? So he's getting them to think in the past. Now this is hard. Okay, some of you, if, if Paul were to do this to you, or if I were to do this to you right now, and I believe for some of you and for all of us, God wants us to do this. He wants us to go back. And he wants us to think through some experiences in our past that we've not let him deal with us in. Okay, but what's interesting about this text is he says, did you suffer so many things in vain? And suffer here, you would think, has a negative connotation. And to some extent, there might be some application we can draw in a negative sense. But more so, what many commentators see is, that just means experience. Did you have this experience that really brought no fruit? Or, or probably I would put it like this. God had an intent in that experience that you all the while were like, no, God, we're not doing that. I'm not letting you deal with me in this way like I see you dealing with me. And you kind of pushed him away. You kind of gave him the cold shoulder. You kind of said, no, we're not, we're not handling that situation like that. And God's just like, you're missing me. You're missing joy. Paul takes their minds back. And this morning, we're going to go back a little bit. And we're going to think about, because, if, I mean, if we're honest, how much, how much of us is in the future? Well, we're right here, right now. All of our lives that we've lived is in the past. So right now, up to this point, all we have within our heads is we have a hope for the next moment. We have a hope for the next breath. But, What? 
everything in our head. We, we know what our morning was like. We know what last night was like. We know what all the course of life has been like, as painful as it may have been, as joyful at times as it may have been. We, we know what that's like. And God's saying, don't allow those times to be in vain. And then look at the end of four. If indeed it was in vain. Here's what's amazing. Paul, he's coming at them with this harsh rebuke. And at the end of it, he says, but there's hope. That for those of you that have allowed these experiences that God has taken you through and you've pushed away what he's wanted to accomplish in your life, for those of you that have done that and you say, it's been in vain, Paul's saying, there is hope that I can redeem what I wanted to do in that situation to this day and teach you what you didn't want me to teach you. So, let me ask this question. Let me probe your heart again. What is it for you? What, what, what amounts of, of healing is God calling you to experience? I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about physical healing, probably more so f- um, spiritual healing, but, but what is it for you? What is it that you've pushed away I'll talk in a minute about guilt and shame. Okay, but, but what is it that you've, you've said, God, no. I'm angry at you for this. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to think about this. We're not going there. And God, with his loving arms around you, is saying, I want to go there. I want you to go there. Because I love you so incredibly much. And what's amazing is when you sense that love, you say, okay, Lord. Doesn't mean there's not fear, uncertainty. But you know what faith is? It's not the absence of fear. It's putting fear in its proper place. So you don't run to God saying, God, I completely trust you. God, I'm not sure what you're doing, but I'm giving you that uncertainty. There's a huge difference. So what is it for you? Maybe it's a good experience. Maybe it's something that, man, God's blessed you with in a profound way, but yet you've not allowed him to teach you through bringing this child into your life through bringing this friend into your life, this coworker that you didn't see as good, but God's like, no, this is for your good. What is it? What is it that God wants to deal with you in? Paul goes on in verse 5, and he basically repeats himself. When he says, does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The Galatians are probably like, Paul, you just get done saying that. Paul's like, I know because I want you to get this thing in your head that says quit doing your own thing and run to him. You don't have what it takes to live the Christian life. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Quit trying. You don't have what it takes. And then Paul goes into this major shift. 
And he starts talking about Abraham. You guys know who Abraham is, right? You should. He's your, if you're a Christian, he's your father. He has many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Hey, did you know I'm one of them? So are you. Hey, we should stop right now and Jeff should come up and we should just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right foot. Jeff, why are you still sitting down? Left foot, is it like chin up, spin around, sit down, something like that? At least that was like the YouTube video that I double-checked on last night. You guys are laughing like I didn't. I really did. Here, here's the thing about Abraham. If you don't know what just went on, you're blessed. Okay? <laughs> Congratulations that you have no clue what just happened. Here's the thing about Abraham. Abraham believed God to do the impossible. What's the impossible? God said, I'm going to do incredible things through your line. I'm going to bless you and bless your family. And Abraham's like, I don't have any kids. And God gave a hundred-year-old man a son through a 90-year-old woman who was barren. And we downplay that like, ah, that's a story we, we hear all the time in church. But check this out. You want a definition of faith? Here it is. Trusting God to do what you could never do. That's it. Faith. Trusting God to do what you could never do. And can I tell you something? You have no ability within yourself to live the Christian life. That's why it takes faith. Some of you need to realize this morning you're trying to do it. You can never do it. You don't have within yourself. You have an incredible ability to think yourself into this truth, really a lie that you can do it. And the enemy is really good at deceiving you. But you can't do it. Let me ask you this question. How were people in the Old Testament saved? Ever wondered that? Old Testament sacrifice, right? Let's read. It's always the best thing to do when a question is asked. Verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, check this out, here's the answer. Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Did you get it? How are people in the Old Testament saved? The same exact way you and I are saved. Did you notice what it says? It said the scripture for seeing what God would do. That's why we talk about the Old Testament being this one giant arrow that points to Christ. So the Scripture, the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of what's to come. And it foresaw 
what was to come. And the scriptures proclaimed to Abraham the gospel. You will be blessed. I'm going to do incredible things through you. What is that? Well, I'm going to inaugurate freedom through your line. I'm going to birth hope through your line. Christ is going to come from you, Abraham. And the promises that he gives to Abraham and to all of the Old Testament saints, and he gives to us all of the promises, find their yes in who? Jesus Christ. And then Paul does something profound. He just illustrated this idea of faith. But he doesn't want us to miss it. He takes an even deeper turn. And this is where it's going to get fun. Verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. So here's what Paul's doing. Paul begins, there's a passage in Galatians chapter 5 where he says, You were running so well, who hindered you? It's the same thing he said in chapter 3 when he said, You began by the Spirit, but now you're being perfected in the flesh? Are you kidding me? And then he comes back to them and he he introduces them to a thought that I want us to work with. Here's the thought. I'm just going to call it the cycle of enslavement. I believe that we put ourselves in this self-enslaving cycle. You can read the Bible. It's, I mean, it's in there. It's, I mean, throughout all the Old Testament, what happens to a lot of believers who get in this cycle of running hard after doing and don't doing and what the law requires, okay? I'm going to try to illustrate this for you. Number one, here's what happens. We focus on a standard for living, okay? We focus on a standard for living, and here's, here's the way the standard works. Okay, it's typically a worldview. Now, sometimes we'll get this standard from the Bible. Sometimes we'll get it from friends. Sometimes we'll get it from parents. We'll get it from the world. Okay, and what it does is it sets this, this example, this, this line, so to speak, where we say, okay, and here's what integrity means for me. Here's to the extent that I will live pure. Here's to the extent that I will be honest. Here's to the extent that I will bring God into my life. Here's to the extent, here's the standard that I'm going to live by. Okay? So, this, this cycle starts with we are focused, this is so key, is on a standard. Okay? Now, now some of you are like, well, that seems like a good thing, right? Be careful. Then, here's what happens. It goes from this standard, this law, and then the standard impacts lifestyle. 
Okay, now, now, now notice this image. So the standard then begins to say, okay, here, because here's the, the level of honesty I want to live by, that's going to begin to infiltrate how I handle my money. That's going to begin to infiltrate how I parent. That's going to begin to infiltrate how I deal with my friends, how I deal with my parents. Okay, integrity. Oh, I can lie a little bit here. Purity. Oh, well, purity, it doesn't have to be, you know, here. It can be here. And so whatever that standard is, it begins to inform the way that we live our life. Now here's what happens. Then our lifestyle produces a result. Okay, it, it might be good. It might be bad, but it produces some type of result that then what we do is, is after it produces a result, we begin to evaluate, okay? Now, if, if it's bad results, then many of us will all of a sudden feel shamed. Feel like, oh, I'm worthless. I don't have what it takes. I don't have anything in me. Like, I can't do anything, okay? If it's a good result, then we'll be like, yeah. All right, look at me. I, I got it. And we begin to boast in that. Okay? But then, he, so here's what we do once we see the results, we re engage the standard of living. If, it's ha- if, if we're happy with the standard of living, we're like, this is, this is all right. I can, I can handle this. If you're, we're not happy with the results that it produced, what do we do? We might change the standard. Well, I don't know if I agree with what the Bible says because I thought it would have turned out this way or I thought it would have turned out that way or I don't know that I believe what my parents are saying or what my friend's saying. I thought it would have turned out this way. And so then we begin to push some sway to the worldview that we have, to the standard that we have, okay? And then this cycle begins that ultimately what Paul says in verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. It's this never-ending curse that we're like, well, I'll live by this standard, and it will inform my life this way. Well, I don't like how that went, so I'm going to like, change it here, and I'm going to work really hard here, and I'm going to work really hard here, and I'm going to work really hard here. Do you see that? Does that get old in your life? When I was in high school, There was a season of high school where I was just like, I feel like I couldn't find victory over sin. And really what, what it was all about was I lived in this cycle of when victory was there, I was like, I got this. And when I'd fall in defeat, I'd be like, well, i got to try harder, and i got to try harder. And I even sought counsel from people that told me how to try harder. No one ever said look to Christ in the way that I needed to. It was always like, well, maybe try this approach, and maybe try this approach, and maybe try this approach. And I'm like, well, that may, might work a little bit, and that might work a little bit. And so it did, and then I'd be like, well, that worked. And so then I'd change the standard, and, I'd, and it was just this curse. And this ultimately it brought an immense amount of bondage. And that bondage... It either brings guilt or shame a lot of times. Let's talk about those for a second. There's a big difference between guilt and shame. Here's, here's guilt. 
Guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame, on the other hand, says, there's something wrong with me. See that? Guilt. I made a mistake. Shame. I am a mistake. Guilt. What I did was not good. Shame. I'm no good. Do you see the difference there? So let me, let me spell this out. Guilt. With guilt, there's a response that has a desire for atonement to make amends or to correct a mistake or hurt. Or heal or hurt, sorry. With shame, on the other hand, here's what it is. The response is just painful feelings of depression, alienation, self-doubt, loneliness, isolation, inferiority, inadequacy, failure, helplessness, and hopelessness. One author put it like this. Shame is a sickness of the soul. It is the most poignant experience of the self by the self. Whether felt in humiliation or cowardice or in a sense of failure to cope successfully with a challenge, shame is a wound felt from the inside, dividing us both from ourselves and from one another. And some of you sit in this room right now with this weight of shame over you. And I'll just say right now, the enemy is absolutely eating your lunch in that. Absolutely owning you in the shame that you're feeling over your sin. And here's the way you can know that. If ever you feel conviction in a condemning way, that's never the Lord if you're a Christian. Never. Read Romans 8. It's shame. It's the enemy coming at you, condemning you. Oh, I can't believe you did that. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. If you ever hear that type of voice in your head and you're like, I wonder if that's God. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You proclaim that to the hills. Okay? But here's the thing. In this cycle, there's going to be at some level where you will find something within you is not good enough. And now you have that thing in your head, right? There's going to be at some level where you find in all your attempts to pretty yourself up, and you try really hard, try really hard, oh, I almost got it, almost got it, almost got it. Are Are you done with that? Can I invite you to be done with that this morning? The Lord is saying, be done with all your scattered attempts to enslave yourself and look to the cross. And there's going to be within that cycle times when you're like, I'm doing good. I got this. And you begin to put weight in your own abilities, pride in your own thoughts and talents and you begin to ride that wave for a little bit and then when the bottom falls out you have nothing 
but yourself and your own condemnation. That's the curse of the law that Paul is talking about. Now, do you want to hear some good news? Look at verse 13. Christ! I just want to make sure you knew that was the first word of verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanging on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive, and this is key, the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Paul's saying, quit cursing yourself. Jesus became a curse for you. Now let's, let's walk through this. Here's what I'll call life of freedom through faith. Life of freedom through faith. This is my most favorite image. Vince, you can go ahead and put it up there. Here's what we have to continually remember. Isn't that cool? I will never be able to do anything that cool again, just so you know. Here's the reality that you can never... Sorry, some of you are going to miss the point just because the image is funny. (laughs) Here's the reality that you can never get over. And when you get over this, you will be at your first moments to fail. It's this. You're rescued from sin. And you're under the control of the Spirit if you are a Christian. That's not even point one. That's like the preface that half of you don't read when you read a book. That's the preface. You have to get that. If you don't get that, you won't get anything else. You are redeemed through faith if you've put your trust in Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. We could unpack that for weeks and never get our minds around it. But we don't have time right now. So with that understanding, here's number one. Here's what happens when we seek to live in freedom through faith. We focus on the perfection of Christ. Okay, so notice the eyes look to Christ. Okay, the eyes, we we focus on the perfection of the crucified and risen Christ. The eyes never take their look off of Christ. If they do you're in trouble because that's where you find your identity. That's where you find your hope. That's where you find the reality that you are rescued. That's where you find the reality that you are full of His Spirit. I lived so much of my teenage years absent of the gospel because I took my eyes off of Christ. And here's what's crazy today. Churches after church after church in America is coming to this reality. We've taking our eyes off of Jesus. That's the first step. Focus on the perfection of Christ. 
And here's what happens. That perfection of Jesus begins to inform your life of faith. Okay, so here's the way it works. Who Jesus is begins to inform who you have relationship with. It begins to inform how you parent. It begins to inform how you study. It begins to inform how you handle your money. It begins to inform everything about you. Notice the difference. This this cycle, this curse cycle, the focus was on a standard, a rule, a law. Christ is the law. The fulfillment of the law. His perfection becomes our focus. That focus then is what informs how we do everything if you're a Christian. And then, that life of faith produces some results. Now here's where the gospel gets skewed. Okay? Because people will say, well, if you're a Christian, then the results are going to be good. The health, wealth, prosperity gospel. But if you notice, if you have a good memory, the numbers are identical to the previous cycle. I'll show you the pictures later if you don't believe me. They're the same. Because here's the thing. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean your results are going to be better. Some of you, some of the hardest and darkest things you've experienced have been in your Christian years. But the hope of who Jesus is has been what sustained you. Okay? So I'm not here to tell you that if you focus on Christ, that the results are going to be 10 out of 10 all across the board. Because it's not going to happen. Oh, you're going to get some 10s. You're going to get some 15s. And you're going to get some 2s. But hang with me, and we'll see what to do with those. So the life of faith produces these results. Now, here's the deal. Those results are then weighed underneath your identity. You're rescued, and you're controlled by the Spirit. Okay? Which has massive implications for what those results are. That's why it's so important. If you lose those results, if you get your mind off of the fact that you're rescued by faith, you're rescued from all aspects of sin. So you fight not for victory, but from victory. If you get your mind off of that, that identity begins to skew how you view your life as going. If it's going good or bad. Well, of course. Because you no longer feel rescued. And you feel like, oh, this is a problem. And yes, it might very well be a problem. The death of a child is a problem. Evil is a problem. But put that next to rescued and full of his spirit. It changes the whole deal. And then... It reflects back to the praise of Jesus. You see that? So my identity begins to allow me to see that no matter how my life turns out, I'm rescued, I'm full of His Spirit, I've been purchased by my King. 
which enables me to live a life fully in worship of Jesus because he is enough for me. He's enough. And listen, it's not easy. But I'm telling you, if you're trying to focus on this cycle, just got to read my Bible more. And yeah, we do. I just got to stop talking like this. And yeah, we do. And I just got to start talking like this. And yeah, we do. And I just got to hang out with this person and not hang out with this person. And da 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 Do you know how to juggle that well? Because I can juggle three. Four is really hard. Are you following me? And this morning, God just wants to say, be done with that. Can I invite you to that this morning? Be done with these man-made attempts to keep all the balls in the air and hoping God's up there going, woo, you're doing good. God's like, no, you're missing it. You're missing it. I want to close with Hebrews 12, 2. And it says this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He founded it, guys. Do you think he's able to perfect it in you? Then why are you trying to? Why are you trying to? Some of you are trying to find it yourself. There's no hope for your perfection because he's, he's both the founder and the perfecter. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would remove us from the bondage of our own sin, that you would remove us from the bondage of our own attempts, and we'd see you as the founder of our faith, and we'd see you as the perfecter of our faith. God, free us. Free us from ourselves this morning. Got to know right now there's some in here that are deeply hurting. And in all their attempts to hide it, in all their attempts to try to come into this place and say, I'm all right. I got it all together. God, I'll be the first to say, I don't. But I thank you that I'm rescued and you live within me. 
so there's hope for me. And I pray that over my brother and my sister in this room that needs to experience your freedom. That we're absolutely loved. We're absolutely accepted. That we belong to the living God. Thank you, Lord. You're so faithful. God, be faithful to pursue us now. God, allow us to deal with the areas of our lives that you're working and be open and be vulnerable and deal with them in community. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.